0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information.
1: Hello, and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this is the Sunday Roundup. The news of the day is Rishi Sunak's dismissal of the embattled Conservative Party chairman Nadeem Zahawi. An investigation by the Prime Minister's ethics adviser, Sir Laurie Magnus, found he had breached the ministerial code in relation to his tax affairs. Laura Koonsberg asked the levelling up Secretary Michael Gove about his leader's judgment.
0: Well, uh, there are always people who will fall short, whether it's in politics or in other parts of, of uh, public life or in uh, professional life or in any area. So uh, because someone commits a, a lapse or a sin, that shouldn't be automatically taken as, a, a, as an opportunity to, to damn an entire organization or a way of working, but and I think you the fear critical thing—the
2: perception it gives of your party, and indeed of this prime minister—because he's not the only minister there have been problems with. You know, there's an investigation into Dominic Raab, very serious minister over bullying claims. Um, Rishi Sunak already had to get rid of Gavin Williamson for sending pretty unpleasant texts to mm. one of his colleagues. This isn't the only problem, and your leader came to power promising the country something different, saying to people, oh, I'm going to draw a line over all these things mm. swirling around over sleaze and the kind of disregard for the rules that many people felt the former administration did far too often.
0: Well, again, it's a serious charge, and it's one that I take profoundly seriously. So the first thing is Rishi's whole way of operating, the Prime Minister's whole way of operating, is driven by a sense of duty um, and uh, a sense of, uh, you know, profound... Uh, uh, moral seriousness that means that when an allegation is put a, uh, against someone he doesn't immediately think right okay i'm in political difficulty um uh, let me deal with this in a you know uh, a, 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 in the fashion that the cynic might imagine was right i will do right by the individual accused but i also do right by the process overall and i think that is an admirable mm-hmm. approach to take your second point is Does this particularly harm the Conservative Party? I think any governing party, when there are uh, allegations about its members or allegations about politicians overall, um, you know, bears a a particular burden. I would say, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, in any way uh, shift blame or responsibility for faults that exist within our own party, Mm -hmm. but I think it is also the case, if you look at um, at politics overall, if you look at uh, uh, other areas, there are always examples of individuals whose conduct falls short. There are, but
2: there are several examples in a very new administration. You know, Rishi Sunak's about to hit his 100-day milestone, and there have been several of these kinds of things popping up. I mean, either is it it careless, is it bad judgment? Surely it does reflect on him.
0: Well, I think what reflects on him is the determination that he has to ensure that uh, people are dealt with fairly, but the government concentrates on delivery. So when we met uh, earlier this week, Mm -hmm. as a cabinet, the Prime Minister made clear to us uh, the vital importance, which all of us recognise in each of the areas for which we are responsible, Mm -hmm. of delivery. So um, uh, departures like Nadim's are newsworthy, sad for the individual concerned, and obviously invite speculation. But in government, what we're doing is getting on with uh, halving inflation, reducing Mm -hmm. debt, generating growth, making sure that we uh, deal with the waiting list, cut the waiting list in the NHS, and stop the boats crossing the channel.
1: Sophie Ridge interviewed Gove shortly before the big news broke. She asked him what the government was doing to promote safety in new housing development more than five years after
3: the Grenfell Tower disaster. We all remember the absolute tragedy of the Grenfell fire six years on It feels like you're finally doing something on unsafe cladding. What is the plan?
0: Well, we're making clear to developers that we've got a new contract that they've got to sign. So the people who were responsible for uh, erecting buildings, which we now know are unsafe, have to pay the costs of making sure that those buildings are safe. Um, We've been trying to to deal with this problem, as you quite rightly say, for a number of years. Um, And there have been well-intentioned efforts, actually, by lots of people. But the nub of it is that, uh, until recently... Uh, the leaseholders, the people actually in the flats, were being asked to consider paying for some of the costs for things that they were not responsible for. So that should end now that we're publishing this contract and saying that developers, and to be fair, they, they accept the responsibility, should pay up.
3: Uh, Sky's city editor Mark Kleiman reported this week that you're close to signing this legally blinding deal uh, to fix unsafe buildings. So when do you hope it's going to be signed and how much could it cost the industry?
0: Well, we're going to publish it uh, tomorrow and uh, we are going to give uh, every developer a sort of window of six weeks during which we hope uh, they will sign. Some have already indicated that they will. I mean, I don't want to preempt. you know, there's been a bit of speculation about some of the developers who will, uh, but all the indications are... Uh, that the overwhelming majority will and those who don't will face consequences if they don't sign the contract uh, We'll make sure that in effect they won't be able to build anything more in the future um, And uh, yeah, we, we, we think it will be in the in the realm of billions that we will be able to unlock in order to deal with this crisis
1: In the region of five billions, is, that, is yeah. that right? Yes Gove also pledged to make extensive changes to the leasehold system
3: as um, someone who, shall we say, has, has experience sort of the peculiarities of the leasehold system, I was mm. quite struck by your interview with the Sunday Times where you said you wanted to abolish it. Yes. Are you hoping for that to happen before the election?
0: Yes. Uh, we want to introduce legislation in the, the, the final parliamentary session, so you know, later this calendar year, um, in order to change the leasehold system. It's not easy in legal terms because you know, when you've got a tangle of property laws going back hundreds of years... Unstitching all of that is difficult, but the fundamental thing is that leasehold is just a—it's an unfair form of property ownership. Uh, you know, in crude terms, if you buy a flat, that should be yours. You shouldn't be on the hook for charges which uh, managing agents and other people can land you with, which are you know gouging.
1: Coonsberg spoke to the Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Phillipson, who argued that Rishi Sunak should have acted sooner on Zahawi
4: this should have happened weeks ago it was always going to end this way and I think it speaks to Rishi Sunak's weakness uh, that it's taken so very long for it to happen but and this isn't just about one individual this is about right at the heart of government a government that is just mired in sleaze we've had Nadim Zahawi, Suella Braverman who herself also broke the ministerial code and then appointed as Home Secretary, Dominic Rav, Gavin Williamson, I think this speaks to a government that just is focused on the Conservative Party, not on the interests of the public. And this is going to continue to happen. This, this really isn't going away. And I think there are still serious questions that the Prime Minister needs to ask about all of this. Nadeem Zahawi has spent weeks seeking to dodge questions and to threaten those who asked him questions about his tax affairs. Except
2: Bridget Phillipson, actually, wasn't it quite right and proper in the sense of having the facts checking out what really happened, wasn't it right and proper that Rishi Sunak asked his ethics advisor to investigate? That investigation took its course. It happened relatively quickly. The investigation came back early this morning, and now he's out. I mean, would you suggest that ministers should just be chucked out at the first sign of something going wrong? This is very serious, and Nadim
4: Zahawi has spent a very long time dodging this. And I do just think it speaks to Rishi Sunak's character and his judgement... And his weakness, he's not prepared to do do what's right for the country because he's focused on what's best for the Conservative Party. He He had no choice but to sack him. He should have sacked him weeks ago. It was always going to end this way. But what what happens yet again? Mm. We have focus and discussion about all of these terrible things right at the heart of the Conservative Party when the British people know that we face big challenges. It will take a Labour government to get our country back on a better path. I think we've got a brilliant future ahead of us, but if we've got a country that's you know, where it's all about the interests of the Conservative Party,
1: we're not going to see the change that the people of this country need. Clunesburg asked the head of the National Education Union, Mary Balstead, about next Wednesday's teachers' strike. Is there anything
5: that you think can stop the strikes going ahead? No, I'm afraid not. Um, the government has just failed to engage with, um, with unions representing teachers um, We've had no negotiations.
2: No negotiations? Because Michael Gove said Gillian Gillian Keegan, the
5: Education Secretary, is attentive and she's warm. She's looking for solutions. She's trying to be helpful. Well, I'm very glad she's warm, but she's not come to the table with any more money for teachers this year. The, The department has, the government's delayed its evidence to the pay review body, which would say what was affordable for next year. It should have been published on Friday. It's not been published. We think the only reason for that is because what they are prepared to offer is so unacceptable they don't want to put it forward. But do you
2: acknowledge though, and for families watching this morning, that going on strike is going to cause terrible disruption to parents, to pupils, to pupils who've already lost out on more than 60 days of their education. Is this really the best thing to do for them?
5: Well, it's not the best thing to do and we don't want to do it.
2: why are you doing it then? Because there are two other teaching unions that aren't going out on strike.
5: Well, they didn't meet the thresholds. They all balloted. They all wanted to take industrial action. It's only the National Education Union that met the government's very high thresholds for taking action. And no teacher leaves their classroom and their pupils easily or wanting to do it. They are doing this because they are desperate, because they have seen their pay decline virtually more than any other profession over the last 10 years. And just to give you one example, I'll be quick, but we are seeing a workforce crisis in our schools. And so, yes, this strike is awful because, um, you know, it's awful for parents and pupils because they'll miss a day schooling. But what's happening every day in schools is awful uh, because we do not have enough teachers. And finally, Coonsberg asked the former
1: Brexit negotiator, Michel Barnier, if he thought he had made any mistakes regarding the
2: UK's final Brexit deal. Did you make any? From who? By you. Leo Varadkar <laughs> says mistakes were made. Do you think you made any looking back now?
6: I think that we, we leave a certain number of points open for the discussion. I don't think it could be mistake. We uh, can, can speak about mistake. I think I, I work all along this process with a, with a huge flexibility. I, I work with a greater respect. If you look at my book... Mm-hmm. Uh, you can
2: tell the it. inside story, your yeah, secret yeah.
6: Brexit yes, diary. I think it, it, it is interesting to, to read, for, to, to understand the complexity of the Brexit, uh, huge complexity, the, the complexity of the negotiation. I, I always work with respect for the British people, for the Irish people also, for mm-hmm. for uh, the, the government and uh, for all the actors. And uh, uh, this respect was the, the, key, the key point for the negotiation.
2: And it sounds like you're saying, but let's just be really clear, you think there will be a deal soon? to tie up the Northern Ireland Protocol after all of these many years of angst?
6: I hope so. I hope so. I think that this is a, there is a way because for the first time, once again, since three years, I see a common willingness to uh, to take to, 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 to responsibility on both sides.
1: That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes Store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.